Absolutely. Yeah. Heavenly Father, we just uh, come to you today and we uh, pray for Jason. And I uh, ask that you just give him the words, Heavenly Father, that you have for us today and that you just open up our hearts, you open up our ears and our eyes so that we can uh, get the message you have for us today. And I just uh, thank you for Jason and for his heart, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Love you, too. Well, uh, my name is Jason Haig. I'm the associate pastor here. Some people call me the associate to the pastor. (laughs) People are getting it. They're like, that sounds familiar. Uh, I want to take full advantage of the fact that we have so many visitors this morning. Uh, I want to talk especially to those maybe who, who... Maybe you don't consider yourself very religious, maybe not even very spiritual, or maybe you do, but Jesus just isn't really a part of your day-to-day life. Um, I want to speak especially to you this morning, because I think I have really uh, uh, good news, frankly, Uh, and so I'm just going to dive right in. Most people already know the story, the general story of Jesus, um, and the, the general idea of Easter um, we, we actually told the story of the crucifixion the other night on Friday um, in a, a pretty vivid way. It was a very intense day, a very dark day, and it would have been the worst day in history if not for what happened next. But I actually want to skip forward uh, to, to something that happened three days later. Uh, there's a story that is only told in Luke's gospel. I don't know why the other... Uh, uh, why the others didn't tell this story. Maybe Luke found it particularly compelling. I find it compelling and ironic and, and downright funny. Uh, so I'm going to tell that story this morning. It's found in Luke chapter 24, but we're just going to throw it up on screen um, so you don't have to open your Bible and follow along. So that very day, so again, this is three days after the crucifixion of Jesus. That very day, two of them, being followers of Jesus, were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. I'll pause right there. A couple of years ago, we did a musical that we wrote here called Clark the Herald Angels Sing. Everybody see that? All right. We, it, was, it was very, very theologically in-depth this, this play. And we talked about the way that angels visit people and, and different modes. One of them is stealth mode. Again, highly technical. It's in the Greek. Um, and uh, when they're just invisible, right? And another one was called fake mustache mode. And it's, you know, angels can come and look like somebody else and, you know, fake mustache is optional. And I, I think Jesus might have been rolling with fake mustache mode here. I, I can't say for sure because Luke didn't include that in the text. Actually, I... T- I actually told this story to a bunch of kindergartners one day, and I, I, I said Jesus had a fake mustache, because sometimes when I tell stories, I embellish, and I forget to tell people. That's not really in there. I just made that up. So I, I, I realized after I walked out of there, I'm like, oh, shoot, they really think Jesus had a fake mustache. <laughs> so, so I'm not actually suggesting he did, but he probably did. I'm not saying he did, but probably. Okay. So Jesus is with them, and this, really, I don't know what it was. Maybe he had his, like, you know, thing in front of his face, and he's disguising his voice. But for whatever reason, even though they know him, they don't recognize him. And he said to them, what is this conversation you're all holding with one another as you, as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? I love what Ravi Zacharias says about this question. 
He says, ironically, he was the only one in Jerusalem who did know. <laughs> and, but he answers them, what things? Again, what, 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 is, what is the expression on Jesus' face? What are you guys talking about? Like, I don't know. He had to be having fun. He's, it's like a fun little prank. Okay, what things? And they say to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth. A man who was mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Ooh, that sounds like a pretty heavy story. Ah, it's heavier than just that. I got to give you a little bit of background. You guys all know the bare bones there. But it was even more intense than that because all of this happened on Passover. This is a really big deal. You probably know a little bit about the story of the Passover if you've ever watched uh, 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 Prince of Egypt or the Ten Commandments or a million other ones like that one that came out a couple years ago that everybody hated. Um, uh, so many times the story has been depicted and it's this incredible story um, about how Israel was under the thumb of Egypt and Pharaoh and they got free. And we're all familiar with this. This is a strange man comes out of the desert and he... he he hardly speaks the language anymore, and he's all sunburned, and he's a Bedouin, and he's old, and he walks in whispering, muttering to his brother, and his brother, like, he's like, let my people go! And then the Pharaoh's like, what are you doing? No, I'm not letting you go. And then it's back and forth, and then, like, all the supernatural stuff, and it's just crazy. <laughs> That's the really technical version. But you get to the end of the, this thing, you got know, these plagues, and you got frogs, and boils, and hail, and darkness, and all this stuff. And you get to the end, finally, and, and, and the, the angel passes over them, and he judges Egypt one more time, but he passes over the, the children of Israel, and they're finally allowed to go free. And this was uh, commemorated by this feast they would have, and, and it was dictated every year you're going to have this feast and you're going to tell this story. Well, this story wasn't just a thing they carried along. This was their very identity. This story meant everything to them. It was constantly referred to throughout Scripture, constantly. And you'd say, I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, constantly. This is who they were. So every year, for somewhere between 12 and 15 centuries they would celebrate the Passover feast. So here we are, hundreds and hundreds of years later, in Jerusalem, everybody goes to Jerusalem from, from all around Judea, even from around various parts of the Roman Empire. Like it was a huge area, and people were scattered everywhere. They would all come to town. They would cram into Jerusalem. The city would swell two to three times its own size. There would be over a million people in that little area. I and mean, it would just be busting at the seams. So they would all come, and, and they would go to the temple, and they would choose a lamb, and, and there would be sacrifices galore, there would be songs that they would sing, prayers they would pray, and everybody gets together and remembers the story, and it, it's a big party. It's an awesome thing to come to. So they've been doing this for a long time, but right now, it's particularly poignant, because right now, in this story, they sense that they're in a similar time as the original Passover, you see, in the original Passover, they're dealing with an empire that's oppressive, that's domineering, the strongest superpower in the whole world, Egypt. And they were set free. And now, once again, they're under the rule, under the thumb of the strongest empire the world's ever known in Rome. Once again, they don't have their identity. They don't have the promises that they were promised at the beginning from God to Father Abraham. None of it. 
Here they are, and they're gathering, and you know what they're doing? They're remembering the story. They're laughing, they're feasting, but they're also saying, when is this going to happen? We need a second exodus. Who's going to be our second Moses? Enter Jesus of Nazareth. When Jesus entered, he starts building up a following. Everywhere Jesus is going, people are following and listening. He can hold an audience in his hands. He can draw massive crowds. And then he can do these unbelievable wonders. And everybody's looking at themselves going, do you think this, could this be? Do you think? Is this, is this Mo 2.0? <laughs> and they're all wondering, maybe. And, and finally, after three years of word spreading and amazing things happening... He comes to the Passover, and this was right after his biggest, most public miracle, which was the raising of Lazarus. And by now, everybody coming to the feast is hearing the story, and they're hearing his name, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus, this rabbi, this wandering wise man is coming to Jerusalem. He's coming to the feast. So when he walks in, one week before, he walks into the city, and thousands of people greet him. And you know what they're doing? They're waving palm branches which is like a patriotic symbol. It would be like us waving a you know, little, little American flag because that's a symbol of their independence. Here they are, right under Roman soldiers' nose, going, woo, we're not even trying to hide anymore because there's thousands of us. And they start singing, Hosanna in the highest, which actually meant save us. Well, save us from what? From Rome. Everything they're doing is symbolic about their own political independence. They're, they're even taking off their cloaks and throwing them on the ground. It's like rolling out the red carpet. This is a king coming. This is the new king. This is the new, like, King David. This is the new Moses. He's going to, to get us out of here. He's going to throw off the, the weight of Rome. Maybe he'll even march right into Caesar's palace, the, the real Caesar's, but not the, not the casino, and say, let my people go, and it's going to happen. So here we have these two guys, Cleopas and the other one. We don't know the name, so we're just going to say it's Al. Al and Cleopas were there. They knew Jesus. They weren't part of the 12, but they must have been, just been on the outside of that. Maybe they were on sort of a you know, larger circle of Jesus' people, but they knew them well, and they apparently knew him well. Um, and so they were there, and they're hanging on every word too, and they're having to deal with crowd management, and they're excited just like everybody else, and their hopes are rising. This is going to be amazing. He's actually going to do it because they didn't understand either. But man, the tension just goes up and up, and it's amazing. And all he has to do is snap his fingers, and thousands of people, well, they'll storm guards for Jesus of Nazareth. You better believe they will. He already had this whole sect called the Zealots that like to run up behind the soldiers and slit their throats. I mean, this was a thing. There would be, every, time, every feast time, there would be lots of arrests, and it, the thing was like a powder keg. All of Jerusalem just like a powder keg. This could blow at any time. And Jesus, they think, could be that spark. So tensions rise, and it's coming, it's coming, and then all of a sudden, nothing happens. All of a sudden, nothing happens. He disappears. And then they find that he's been arrested and taken to trial, and very quickly sentenced to death, and within hours, he's hanging on a tree, naked, bleeding out. The end. That's the story these two travelers tell to Jesus. And here's what they say. What a sad, sad verse. 
But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had, he had hoped. But we had hoped. Those words, those words, they're aching words, you know? Even when I read it, I was like, oh, because I, I, I can feel it with them a little bit. I bet you, you can too, because you probably had times where expectations were glowing and you were looking forward to a thing and it was going to be a certain way and then something happens and it rips your heart out and you're way over here going, but we had hoped. And sorrow and despair come. That's what these people are feeling. Sorrow, anxiety, depression are often triggered by mere disappointment. This has been a big part of our own story, my family's story. Uh, many of you here are, are familiar with our situation. I have five children, and my 12-year-old has severe autism. Um, and uh, the, 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 the kind that can be very difficult, I'll say, um, mostly uh, nonverbal. But the, the hardest part was when he was very young. He was two years old and developing completely normally, and he had regressive autism. So he, he just had this, this massive regression that took away all his words, took away all of his communication, everything. It was just like, what just happened? And, and you know, when you're dealing with your, your first son and you have all these glowing expectations of the way your life and relationship is going to be, to suddenly have those things pulled away is really difficult. And then this has been the hard thing for our family, right? Is you see him, oh, he's doing, how's he doing? He's doing so much better. He learned all these words and you, you're excited and the next day you take him to school and he's forgotten it all. It's another regression comes and all of it's, it, all of it's gone. I remember taking him back after uh, a summer vacation one time and we, we brought him to school and his teachers, at the end of the first day, they looked at us and their jaws were open and ours were too and they said, where did he go? We said, yeah. See, when glowing expectations aren't met, that disappointment brings despair. You guys have felt it too. All of us have felt it in one way or another. Maybe it's different for you. Maybe you've lost someone close to you. Maybe there's been a separation in marriage or in relationship. Maybe you've dealt with it in isolation. You thought you would have people around you. You thought the ones who loved you would always love you. Maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's shame. All of us have had ideas about the way things ought to be and then met something else, despair. Our community is no stranger to it either. Right now, we're experiencing a massive mental health crisis. We're experiencing an opioid crisis as people are trying to escape the despair that's all around them. And even in our own local community, we've had a rash of suicides happening, and, and, and the, the rate is very alarming, and the young people dealing with all of these things they don't know how to deal with. All of it screams the same thing as these guys felt. But, but we had hoped. We hoped it would be different. But notice here what's happening. These two travelers are confessing their deepest sorrow, their sadness, their confusion, their disappointment. But who are they talking to? They, they happen to be talking to Jesus of Nazareth. And they don't even realize it. They're, he's listening to them. They're talking to him. They don't know it's him. And he's listening. You know, you know, what, that, you know what that is? That, that's prayer. They're accidentally praying. 
They, they just feel like they're getting something off their chest. They're just speaking it out to some random travelers, random people everywhere. Fine, I'll talk to this guy. I'm not much of an extrovert, but fine. You know what it is? Fine. I'll just tell you. And Jesus is going, wow, that sounds really hard. Yeah, it's hard. You know what? Some of you guys have done the same thing. You have, you have, you have hurt you have ached, you have wondered, you have asked why, and you've asked them to what you thought was an empty sky, but Jesus Christ was there and listening. You didn't even know he was there. I would dare say you might have been praying accidentally. Even if you didn't know you were talking to him, he was listening. The savior of mankind in fake mustache mode. <laughs> right there. He's right there. You see, he's not ignorant of the things you've gone through. He's intimately acquainted with them. He knows. He knows all of it. He heard your cry. And now they get to this really interesting part of the story they're telling. Yes, and besides this, get this. This is just, this is funny. It's, it's now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were, they were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they didn't, find his body, they came back to us saying they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive or something, I don't know. Some of those were with us and they went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they didn't see him. So I don't know, everything's just bad. Now isn't this interesting? You'd think they'd be excited by this kind of report. But they're not. Because good news doesn't thrill people who have lived in perpetual disappointment. Let me say that again. Good news doesn't always thrill people who have lived in perpetual disappointment. Oftentimes it makes them suspicious. Makes them scared. Well, there's another shoe that's going to drop, right? Just, just don't try to get me to believe all that good stuff. I would dare say these guys wanted to believe. But belief can be risky. This is something I've been thinking about. For us who are in the church and would call ourselves believers, I think sometimes we got to be careful about assuming too much about those who don't believe. Because sometimes we think, that, oh, they just don't want to believe or they're being stubborn, but sometimes there's hurdles to belief and, and, and people really want to believe, but that's just a real risk to be let down again. That's a hard thing to do. Well, here these guys are. They want to believe. And Jesus listens to all of this. He listens to their hearts cry. He listens to it all. And he says, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You know why I think he said they were being foolish? I think maybe it's because they had put their hope in political circumstances. He hadn't come just to redeem Israel, see. He had come to redeem the whole world. They had a different political vision than what he was actually trying to do. I'm not suggesting you and I shouldn't be involved in the political process. I, I totally think we should. But... There's never been a pharaoh, there's never been a Caesar, there's never been a president of the United States that has held salvation in his hands. 
It's never happened. There's never been a Congress that's been able to really establish justice. There's never been a Senate that's been able to, to deal equity with human beings. There's never been any of this. They're human. They're fallen. We need something more. Hope is not found in leaders or circumstances. It's not found in political parties or social activism. It's not found in cancer research or autism funding. Hope is not found in a better job or in finding the right spouse or in a secure retirement fund. It's not found in a better education or a stronger military. It's not found in the price of gold and it's not even found in the golden rule. Hope can never be found in any of those things because hope is a person. Do you hear me? You want to break out of the shadow of death and despair? You don't need a platitude. You don't need a new senator. You don't need a new initiative. You need someone who has actually defeated death and despair. And there's only one. I give you Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He is the only one. That's why he's the only way. Here he is. Friends, listen to me. Are you listening to me? Okay, I'm just worried you're not listening to me. Okay, listen. Hope is quite literally alive. <laughs> this is the message of Resurrection Sunday. Hope is alive. He lives. See, we killed him on Friday, but he rose again on Sunday. He rose up out of the shadow of death with new life. And today he's extending that life to you. He's extending that hope to you. Guys, I would have despaired myself. I'll tell you, I would have despaired a long time ago if I had tried to put my hopes in circumstances. Because those things go up and they go down. And they go up and they go down. And you know, I used to think that, I used to say, Lord, if you would just take care of this issue with my son, if you would just take care of that and remove all the blockages from our relationship, then I think I would be fine. And the more I looked inside my own soul, I realized I was lying to myself. Because there's going to be other things. There's going to be a, a, another sickness. There's going to be a breakdown in relationship. People will lose people. We just will. This is a world that's been touched by death. And Jesus even promised, in this world, you will have trouble. So it's not good enough to anchor into circumstance. It's too shifting. It's all over the place. We need to anchor in a person. Anchor in a person who is unchanging. And there's only one who is unchanging. He hears all of my prayers, both the purposeful ones and the accidental ones. He's there. He's willing to give an ear and to walk through the dark places with us and to celebrate in the sunshine. He's there to take us by the hand in all the difficult times and usher us into an eternity with him where all of these things are set right, all of the justice our hearts long for that we try to search through for activism, all of those things are going to be left undone until the day when he sets them all right. Hope is a person. Do you know this hope? So here you get to the end of the story. They drew near to the village to which they were going. <laughs> this is great. He acted as if he were going further. Again, you got to picture Jesus. Like, how's he even doing this? We're like, well, guys, it was nice talking to you. 
He's just like playing with him. Like, no, please stay. We want to hear more. Well, okay, fine. He comes in. Stay with us for it's toward evening. and, And the day is now spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. And their eyes were open. Worship team, please come. Their eyes are open. He breaks the bread and their eyes are open. It's like, hey, wait a minute. This looks vaguely familiar. I remember. I feel like I've seen this before. Oh, do we see this in a movie or something? And they're like talking. They're like, wait, you know what that reminds me of? (gasps) Oh my gosh. And he goes like this. This is just like this. And then he disappears. He disappears. He's gone from their midst. Just like that. I don't know what it was, what it was about the thing. Maybe it was the way the crumbs broke. I don't know what it was. But for some reason, finally they recognize him. And they say to each other, did not our hearts burn with us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those who are with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed. And we've seen him. Hope was dead, but he's not dead anymore. That's, that's what we're here to proclaim to you. And we're going to sing one more song. Let's stand together. Let's sing the song we started with this morning. Okay. <laughs> there was a moment when the lights went out. Death had claimed its victory The king of love had given up his life The darkest day in history There on the cross they made for sinners Every curse his blood atoned One final breath and it was finished But not the end we could have known For the earth began to shake And the veil What a sacrifice was made When the heavens rolled Oh, hail King Jesus Oh, hail the Lord of heaven and earth Oh, hail Oh, hey. 
have to understand that the disciples were with Jesus this whole time, but they were trying to superimpose their own will on the Messiah. They had brought down what he was supposed to do to their own level of understanding. And Jesus was preaching to them the desire of the Father of what he wanted to do to redeem all things and bring us back into his house to know who the Father is and who the Son is and to receive the Holy Spirit. And even in that moment, when they were praying on the road, as Jason just shared with you, their hearts were beginning to burn within them, but they still didn't see Jesus. They still they were with him, but they didn't see him. They were with him. They had an idea of what he should be, but they didn't believe in what he was. And then he appears to the disciples, as you know. He appears to the 11, and they think he's a ghost, an apparition of what they hoped that he would be. And he says, listen, put your fingers into my wounds. Look at my side. And he ate some fish and some honeycomb, and he proved to them, I am Jesus. And then... They believed in him. This morning, Jesus Christ is certainly among us. And you're here, and you've been with him, but many of us have had our own ideas about what he is supposed to be. We've been with him. We've been reading words about him. He's even been near us, and we've heard his voice, but we have never made him our Lord. And this morning, Jesus is here, and he's saying, put your finger in my wound. Understand the lengths that I have gone for you before you even asked me. I was working on your redemption. Before you even loved me, I was loving you. My Father sent me. I am the proof of my Father's intention for your life, but I must be Lord. Will you believe in me? Will you believe in my Father's love? And that is wholly up to each of us. But how many of you today, your hearts were burning within you while you're hearing the words of Christ and realizing, I know about Jesus, but I have not made him my Lord. I have been among the people of Jesus, but I have never made him my Messiah. I have never bowed my knee to him. I have prayed prayers. I have wanted a political leader. I've wanted to be healed. I've wanted all these things. And believe me, Jesus in perfect time will meet every one of those needs, but that is not the criteria for you to make him Lord. He is worthy. He is trustworthy. He is safe and he is beautiful. He is the only place where we can be saved. He is the only one worthy of our devotion and our affection. And our prayer this morning is that every one of our eyes would be open, that we would suddenly realize you are the bread of life. Hope is alive, but I've been demanding what hope is supposed to look like, and I've tried to make you Jesus in my image. I've tried to make you do what I say you need to do before I follow you. I've rejected the fact that you've already proven your trustworthiness through your death, you've already proven your trustworthiness through going through and fulfilling every single promise about you. And here I stand with my facts and my arguments and God understands them. He doesn't make light of them. He was with you in the midst of them. He stood with you even in the worst of times of what you've gone through, his heart breaking, knowing that the only reason why there's hope is because he can heal those wounds. And he wants to but he will not violate your will ever. He will not force himself upon you. 
And so he whispers and he waits and he saves and he pursues and he's in those conversations. He's in those moments where you're weeping over a movie and you go, my God, why does this part speak to me? Why do I cry every time I see this? Why does this song open up heaven somehow? And all I can do is just sit here and think there's got to be more. That was him. And right now, right now, He's saying, will you believe in me? Will you surrender your version of life and trade it in for mine? Will you admit that you're not God, that you wouldn't have the slightest idea of what that criteria should be and let me be God? Because you're my baby and I love you and I want you. And that's what this moment is right now. If your heart is burning within you today, we're making this opportunity. I want to be clear. I'm emotional because I can feel some of the love of the sea. The Father is in me through the Holy Spirit. And I got to tell you, it makes me emotional because he is crazy about you. I'm not emotional because I want to manipulate you into making a decision. God doesn't do that. I'm not trying to do that. I want you to know this. But I do want you to know something. I can't possibly exaggerate the amount of love that the Father has for you. I can't possibly exaggerate that. It's not possible. You saw who Christ is and what he's done. So to that end, I can be as emotional as I want. And it won't even touch how flippin' awesome he is. And how crazy he is about you. If you want to begin to believe in this Jesus. And many of you have been a part of the church for quite some time. You have been with his people. You've been trying, you've been working hard, but you, you, you just now are realizing, I've never seen you. I've never actually believed you. I knew some stuff about you, but I want you to be my Lord, and I want to follow you. I want to know you. If that's you today, I want you to just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. It's okay. Just raise your hand. Lord, I realize I want to follow you. I want to believe in you in the places that I have not believed. Lord, I want to pray for everyone in this house right now that's sort of on that, in that valley of decision. What does this mean for me? Would you open up our eyes? Would you remind us right now of that broken bread? Would you open up our eyes? For each here that feels that they have experiences and facts that would make it seem like these things are not true, would you come and give a new perspective? that it's possible that these bad things happened and you're still good, that you're the God that redeems things, not the God that's made bad things happen. Let's respond to Jesus right now. For those of you that are turning to him in a new way right now, let's just pray together. Father, 
I believe that Jesus is your son. That he is the lamb that was slain. I declare he is my Lord. I will follow him all of my life. Now in the scriptures, Jesus was speaking to them and he said something very interesting at the end of the story that Jason just shared with you. And he says this in Luke 24, verses, 20, uh, verses 46. And then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. The promise of the Father is the Holy Spirit. These things are impossible for us without the Holy Spirit. He doesn't expect us to come and suddenly just make ourselves into good people. He has accepted us because sins have been forgiven because of Christ, but we become like Christ because of the Holy Spirit. And so he said, tarry in Jerusalem until you receive the gift of my Father. And this morning, for those of you that have prayed and for all the rest of us, let's just take a moment to receive the gift of the Father, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind. It's legal. The scripture says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead works mightily in each of us. Come on. So just open your hands like this. I just want you to open your hands as though you're receiving a gift for those of you that desire such a thing, and it is a gift, and I'm gonna pray. I want you to pray with me. Father, every good and perfect gift comes from you, the Father of lights. The word says, with you there's no changing. So I trust your gifts. Will you give me your promise? the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I yield to you. Come and fill me. Teach me. Show me. Give me power that I might live like Jesus. That I might fulfill what the scriptures say about me. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you prayed for the first time today, I'm going to be at the back and I want to give you a, a Bible. I want to give you a hug. I want to pray over you. I want to rejoice with you. We're so glad that you're here today. When we leave this room, I want you to know that we have delicious baked cinnamon rolls out in the hallway that Doug Easterday and his team put together. And I want you to come and break bread one with another. But before we do that, let's end with an anthem of the reality of this Jesus. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.